Today on Happy Sad Confused, Simon Pegg on Steven Spielberg, Star Trek, and Star Wars. Hey guys, I'm Josh Horowitz. Welcome to another edition of Happy Sad Confused. As I said, the guest on today's show, one of my favorite human beings, Simon Pegg, nerd icon. I mean that in the most affectionate way. When I would dream of being a nerd icon. The man has been in the Star Trek franchise. Not just been in. He's been Scotty, for God's sakes, and co-written one of the films. He's been in Star Wars, Mission Impossible. And then, of course, uh, we got to uh, give thanks to the great Cornetto trilogy, Shaun of the Dead, Hot Fuzz, World's End. Um, him and his collaborators, Edgar Wright and Nick Frost, really delivered on those three films. And um, I think they'll, I, I know he and Nick are working on stuff, and I know he and Edgar are continuing to talk. So um, more to come from the, that trio, I'm sure, in the future. But Simon's always one of the good guys, easy to talk to. He's definitely cut from the same cloth, uh, easy to geek out on all manners of pop culture, whether it's comic book movies, sci-fi, uh, action-adventure, and uh, that's certainly appropriate for this conversation on today's episode. Simon was in my little office to talk about Ready Player One, which is currently the number one film in theaters, uh, and it is indeed a Steven Spielberg spectacle. Uh, it is definitely... Steven Spielberg doing things that only Steven Spielberg can do, directing action and adventure and um, utilizing visual effects like very few people can. It is certainly worth seeing on a big screen with great sound. I've seen it, I've seen it once. I want to check it out again at least uh, one more time on the big screen because there is a lot to take in to this film. Uh, if you've seen it, you know it's based on Ernie Klein's uh, best-selling book and very much a film about nostalgia, about 80s and 90s uh, film and video games and TV with tons of cool Easter eggs throughout, um, but also works, I think, just as a, as a fun action-adventure and um, cool cast, Ty Sheridan, Olivia Cook, the great Ben Mendelsohn. If you listen to this podcast, you know I love me some Ben Mendelsohn uh, and Simon Pegg in a key role that I won't talk too much about here for fear of spoilers. So uh, this is a spoiler-free chat, so proceed without any uh, any worry. Uh, and I hope you guys enjoy. This is uh, we cover a lot of ground in this one, talking about all the major franchises that Simon has been a part of: Star Trek and Star Wars, uh, future involvement in Star Trek, what's going on with that Quentin Tarantino script, what he thinks of JJ returning to the Star Wars franchise, why he hasn't been in a comic book film. Lots and lots we covered in this one, Simon is one of my uh, favorites to mix it up with. For God's sakes, we, we've battled about everything from you know, Jar Jar Binks to the prequels, basically only the prequels. That's usually what it boils down to. We have heated arguments about the prequels. We don't really get into that here, so there was no bloodshed. This is just a love fest, so I think you guys will enjoy. Uh, last uh, bit of a reminder before we get into the main event, as always... Please spread the good word of Happy Sad Confused via reviewing, rating, and subscribing to the show on iTunes. Those reviews definitely matter. Those ratings matter. Uh, they spread the good word. And if you haven't had a chance to go back into the archives, noodle around back there. Lots of cool, fun stuff. Just most recently, we had Sean Penn on, guys. Amazing. Uh, and now we're getting into the big summer movies, so some cool, big-time guests coming from your favorite summer movies uh, in the weeks ahead. Anyway, today's uh, adventure for you guys is, uh, is a conversation with Mr. Simon Pegg. I hope you guys enjoy. In my office at last. I don't think you've been here, right? Uh, it's a proper little nerd den, isn't it? It's like basically the Ready Player One office. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. <laughs> it's like this is the most appropriate place for you to talk about Ready Player One. Um, always good to see you. You too, buddy. Uh, congratulations on this one. Uh, your love affair with Steven Spielberg is further consummated and and the glorious result. Ongoing. Ongoing. Ten years or something, right? Of you guys? Yeah, yeah. I guess we did Tintin in 2009 and then he came with a little cameo in Paul. Amazing. That year, and then um, yeah, here we are again. Is this uh, is this a little bit more of a stress-free kind of promotional run? Because it's like you're invested in this, of course. Yes. But it's it's not on your shoulders. It's not on your face. Absolutely. It's not on it's your. It's nice. And the also the, of your pen. Yeah. The kids are doing it as you know they're, they're doing a lot of the heavy lifting as well. Ty and Olivia and Lena and everybody and 
it's and it's also it's lovely to go out and be promoting a Steven Spielberg film, you know, because just it's cool by association. And one like this that is, uh, you know, I know he's introduced this a few times and keeps talking about it as like a movie, right? Yeah, he's, there are films and movies, and I like his films, but I also I love his movies. He's at pains <laughs> to kind of stress this is a movie. It's very much a kind of you know, in the purest sense, and a movie experience, you know, yeah. and, and um, it is, it's extraordinary. So uh, let's reminisce a little bit about our shared collective love of Spielberg, because that's, yes. that's just a fun topic to have anyway, whether Absolutely. you're in a Steven Spielberg film or not. Um, you were, I was doing math, you were probably like, what, like 11 when Raiders came out or I was something? I 10. 10, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So is that the first time you were aware of the, the name Steven Spielberg? I think it was, it's definitely the first time I saw a Spielberg film theatrically. Yeah. Uh, I remember the trailers for it were uh, all over the TV at the time and they kept saying from the producers of Jaws and Star Wars and I remember being like well I've seen Star Wars and I love that and I've heard about Jaws this must be really good not knowing what a producer even was <laughs> and uh, and my stepdad at the time I remember he said to me you can we can go do two things tonight we can go to the fair which came to town every summer this is, must have been August and uh, or we can go and see this film Raiders of the Lost Ark. And I remember making a, a, a direct choice. It was like, okay, let's go to the cinema. And I see that as a pivotal point oh, in yeah. my life. Who knew Do at I pick, 10 years old, yeah. you made the choice of a lifetime. Is it ephemeral kind of, you know, uh, enjoyment, fleeting light shows, or is it going to the cinema to see? Um, you always have the long game in mind. You're, I know, you're a right? smart guy. Ironically, nowadays, most cinema is an ephemeral light show. This is true. <laughs> But back then it was, you know, and I did. And it was an extraordinary experience. And I remember coming back and just telling my mum all about it and trying to recount all the, you know, the, the melting Nazis and whips and stuff. <laughs> That's all a kid wants is melting Nazis. <laughs> know, really, yeah. They were easy to please at yeah. the end of the day. Um, yeah, that, yeah. The, the Indiana Jones films are probably the best example of just like pure entertainment. Amazing. I, so I actually took, uh, I, well, I showed my daughter the, the entire, the four Indiana Jones films. Uh, recently, and we started with Raiders, watched them all in order, and I was really interested to see her how she took to it. What was and her favorite? I'm curious. She likes The Last Crusade the best, which I think because of all the father-son stuff is really fun. Right. And I must admit, watching Crystal Skull with her... Made you appreciate it a little more? Made me appreciate it a little more. You know, and, and I, seeing it through her eyes... Yeah. Actually, I got it a little better than I did the, you know, when I saw it. I will say, as a cynical you know, adult. <laughs> exactly. Well, you know, and you're you're friends with Steven, so you can't probably say only so much. But the first 20, 30 minutes of a Crystal Skull, I think, is pretty good. Yeah, it is. I think it, it sort of it starts well. It it falls apart a little bit with the monkeys and the, you know, it gets. Yeah, I don't. I mean, you 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 have his ear, so talk to him about this. Why I did why, dare. why would why <laughs> part of the joy of Indiana Jones is the locations, and that feels like. They were on the soundstage. Yeah. Uh, we'll, we'll never know. We'll never know. Well, <laughs> so I don't, you know, the funny thing is with yeah. him is that I think you could probably easily discuss stuff like that with him because he's very humble and he's not particularly, you know, and he, he also is very happy to talk about his work. And But I just love him so much. I'd hate for him to kind of put him on the spot about something <laughs> that he felt embarrassed about. You know? So it's, yeah, nine years into the relationship, I feel like it's time for me to ask the tough questions. I've, I've buttered you up enough. Can we talk about Indy 4? Yeah. <laughs> so how would you rank, like, we know where 4 is obviously the fourth best, yeah. but how do we rank the other three for you? For me, have it you, goes... Have you watched it again recently? In order, uh, Raiders, I like Temple of Doom. I know it's quite, it's oh, quite an angry yeah. film, you know? It, right. They're sort of divorce movie and it's a right. bit nasty. It's pretty racist, to be honest. <laughs> That's true. That's you know, true. But that aside, um, for me, maybe it's an emotional thing, but yeah, I'll, I'll, I rate them in order of their release. The opening sequence of Temple of Doom yeah, I mean, remains one of the great yeah, sequences Yeah, Club Obi-Wan and the, you know, yeah. him in a white tuxedo and yeah. stuff. It's fantastic. <laughs> nice try, wow, shit. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> it's the best. <laughs> Do you think you have a better shot of being in West Side Story or Indy 5, uh, <laughs> your next collaboration for Spielberg? I don't know. It's Every time I see him, like, at the moment when we're doing press, I, I almost say... So listen, if you're doing anything else, I'm always around, but I, I stop short. Um, I don't know. It's a weird one. Like Denim Elliott's nephew, you could be like. <laughs> yeah. I could be Marcus Brody Jr. Exactly. Yeah. Um, that would be amazing. I don't know. It's it's weird, you know, getting to be in these things that I grew up watching. Sometimes, I feel like. I don't want to infiltrate every world, you know. I managed to be on... Although, and weirdly, being in Star Wars kind of spoilt Star Wars for me because 
I was on the set and I was in it, like properly in it. We were in the desert and there were gonk droids everywhere and stormtroopers. And it was like having a totally 4D Star Wars experience. And, it, and afterwards I, I felt like I've done now. I don't need, any, don't need it anymore. <laughs> and I, I do feel that in a weird way. Um, so I wouldn't want to do that to Indiana Jones. Fair enough, fair enough. That being said. <laughs> if he calls on there. <laughs> Marcus Brody Jr. does suddenly have a nice ring to it. <laughs> um, who would be as meaningful for you to meet at this point? You've met probably many of your heroes growing up. Have you interacted with Harrison at any point? Yeah, a little bit on The Force Awakens. And, oh, um, sure. yeah, yeah. you know, that was fun. And uh, funnily enough, today, it's a slightly different realm, but I was coming out of my hotel here in New York and Mike D from the Beastie Boys came out behind me and I didn't see him until he was gone. And I, I almost chased him. <laughs> And I was ready to like be a proper photo asking fanboy and open it up with, you know, I put sabotage in Star Trek. You know, I'm not just a nutter. Uh, but he got away. When I was growing up, my brother's name is Adam. Yeah. So uh, growing up uh, in the 80s in New York, we got a fair number of Adam Horowitz. Uh, oh, yeah, of course. Mess yeah, up yeah. Phone calls. Very disappointed people calling the Horowitz household. Yeah, yeah. Not yeah. finding a beastie boy there. <laughs> That's amazing, yeah. of course. So. So, yeah, that's interesting that you talk about sort of like, you know, that yin and the yang of of being in the in the things that you revere and not wanting it and ruining the experience. I mean, you're still I, I'm yeah. sure you enjoy you enjoyed Last Jedi, I assume, uh, as a fan. <laughs> so I bet you were, you know, that's not that doesn't go away. I went when I saw the last not the last Jedi what was uh, the Force Awakens. I. I had an odd sense of ennui during it, like I felt kind of disappointed and um I couldn't figure out why, and it ended at the premiere, and I, I felt down, and I was like, why do I feel down? And I realized it was because I'd been in it, yeah. I'd read the script, and I'd even contributed a little bit to the script here and there, so I'd been involved in it, and so it wasn't a big surprise. So I watched right. the movie knowing everything that was gonna happen. So when that big thing happens to one of our favorite ever characters, right. it wasn't a surprise, and, and so I realized that, that what, what the, the payoff for, for being in it was to have the experience of seeing it removed, right. you know. And I wouldn't swap that because it was an amazing experience. Right. But, you know, it was a strange one. So for this experience with, with Stephen, I can call him Stephen because we've never talked for more than three minutes at a time. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, was, I mean, Tintin's obviously a much different kind of experience. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, we won't ruin, you know, there are avatars involved for most of the actors in here. We're not going to yeah. ruin different surprises. But... Um, for to say most of your stuff here is live action. Yeah, yeah. Um, so is that, what's it like to be on a Steven Spielberg set? How does it compare to other sets you've been on? It was great. And it was interesting because my, obviously my, as you say, my first experience was, was performance capture. And, and with that, it was, um, you know, he was learning a new craft at that point. It was his first movie in, uh, in that right. realm. And so he was sort of feeling his way, but it was a different kind of energy to live action. Uh, with this film, there was a little bit of performance capture where, the, where now he'd learned that he could just sit back, watch the acting and direct it later. Right. Back in the day when we did Tintin, he was holding the camera, the sort of performance capture camera, looking at it and sort of shooting it as we went. You don't need to do that. You can actually... Got it. You shoot it later. You get it as a 3D event in the computer and then you own that event to shoot however you want. I know it still kind of blows me away. And then the live action stuff, some of that was kind of supposed to be... Um, archival sort of nanny cam, you know, <laughs> footage or something, and he wanted to be able to scroll around it and like you were looking at it on a tablet, and so he came up with this way to shoot it with eight cameras in a semicircle, and shoot a wide and a close, huh. and and then stitch it all together in the edit, so you could literally kind of spin it round. Got it. So that was kind of like a cross between performance action and live um, performance capture and live action, and then when we shot the stuff when it was just normal live action. Then that felt new because I'd never done that with Stephen right. before. And, um, and it was brilliant. It was a privilege. And most of your stuff is with Mark Rylance. Yes. Who is an amazing, I mean, he can he's do anything. annoyingly, sickeningly good. Yeah. And he's doing something in this, I mean, yeah. I've never seen him do this. Yeah. And it's a choice. It's like a bold kind of like take on yeah. like this kind of eccentric, um, God, I don't even know how to, how well, to describe him. I think he him. plays him as aspergic, to be honest. Yeah. I think he plays him as a character. And that was, you know, Halliday's thing was that he was um, socially awkward. And that was probably a result of his being on the Asperger's spectrum, sure. you know. And as such, my character, Ogden Morrow, is, is the kind of face. He's the jobs of the, of right. the 
you know, to his was, and is the guy that can talk about the product and, and be um, the face of it, whereas Halliday is a little bit awkward. And so when he does speak, like it's interesting when, when he's his avatar, he's very gregarious yes. and, and, and sort of in character, but as himself, he's incredibly awkward and weird. And Mark just plays that. I mean, it was, it's kind of frightening when you act with someone like that because you just think all the time in your head you're panicking, right. thinking, you've got to be really good in this scene, otherwise no one's going to be looking at you. <laughs> I can't deliver the usual B. I need to actually go B plus A minus. I need to go full A. <laughs> Damn, that needs to work today. Um, so you've seen the film twice, you were saying. Yeah. Um, I saw it just last night, and you, were, you, you said it best. I mean, it's, it's kind of an overwhelming experience, and that's part of the, the joy of it. It's such like a, it's, it's like a perfect film for these times, first yes. of all. It is like a celebration of, of nerddom, for lack of a better term, and there's something in there for everyone. I probably got 20%, and I'm a full-on yeah. geek uh, yeah. of the references, and I'm, you know, saying to you, like, as soon as, like, there's, for God's sakes, there are, like, multiple Buckaroo Banzai references in this. I'm, like, in I a know. mainstream Spielberg there film. Deep like cuts in there. <laughs> like, I mean, that's crazy. Were there any, having seen it a couple times, that you took a special pleasure in that, like, for me, again, Buckaroo Banzai, that hits right yeah. into my heart. For me and Edgar Wright, it was the fact that there's a moment when somebody throws the glaive from Krull, you know, the Oh my, I, did the see, I didn't notice that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and, and I noticed, like, in H's workshop, there's one of the, one of the pods from uh, 2001 in the right. background. I mean, and there's so many video game references that... I, I made a point of trying to remember a few when I saw it on, right. on Monday night, and now they've all gone. Um, As a Star Trek fan, I would I'm sure, yeah, I appreciate loved, the... Uh, yeah, there's his, a funeral at some, funeral, some point. That was hilarious. <laughs> I think, you know, it's, I find it really awkward saying this because it feels like a cynical marketing thing. So I, I'll say it. Uh, you know, in whatever, however it, this happens, at some point in your lives, you don't have to go and see it three times at the cinema this weekend if you don't want to or you can't afford it because it's very expensive to go to the theater. I know that. But at some point, watch this film as many times as you can because there's so much detail. Don't do it in the first watch. Sit back and enjoy the right. story. Then you can literally go back and start playing bingo with <laughs> virtually every cultural touchstone of the last 40 years. Yeah. You know? um, has your daughter seen it yet? Your daughter's what eight, nine? She did, or? yeah. She saw. She sat next to me at the premiere in in London, and uh, it, and she just got it on a purely visceral kind of level of of, of wonder and excitement. I would and, think for that age, that's yeah. probably the, the the level you. She's on a first time round for everything. It's not like she's nostalgic about I don't know what things like kid <laughs> shows from the right right from the early the team. Bella Thorne show from three years ago. <laughs> What was that? What was that show she used to watch when she was here? Oh, it was amazing. It was a kids show, ah, and it was it had lots of characters in, and um, there was a guy called DJ Thingy and had big glasses. And uh, oh, I, oh, this God, is your world. I wish I could remember. <laughs> it's okay. Um, so what, what's next on the list you, uh, to expose her to? This, so you're getting you're in the fun years now. Oh, we have the best time. I've I've shown her um, uh, all the Amblin films. You know, like I I we were watching. Everything like Goonies and Back to the Future, all the all the, the Steven Spielberg produced films, you know, right. Explorers, and, and I've also shown like Raising Arizona, and mm. we have these movie nights, uh, and um, and she got very familiar with Spielberg, and 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 she became very obsessed with watching Jaws. This was her, you know, she, she wanted to see Jaws, determined, and she was seven, and I was like, you can't see Jaws, it's not suitable for you, right? And she's like, yeah, but. Mm. And I've seen things of it on YouTube, and, and I realized she was watching clips of the ride at Universal Studios. <laughs> Same difference. It doesn't look basically. too bad. Yeah, yeah. And I said, I was. She's watching Jaws 3D. Yeah. The, the classic. Everybody knows go right to the third one. Yeah. <laughs> I said to her, Look, I'm working with Steven Spielberg. Why don't you come and meet him and, and you can ask him? And uh, we'd seen BFG that weekend, so she was sort of primed, very aware of his work. And she came on the set and. Uh, and he's, of course, he's, loves kids. He's got seven of his own, right. and he's brilliant with them. So he came over to chat with her, and they were talking about BFG. And I said, look, why don't you ask Stephen that question you were going to ask him? And she said, all right, can I watch Jaws, please? And he sort of said, well, how old are you? She said, seven. And he thought about it. He went, nope. <laughs> <laughs> and I was Detailed like... by the master. I perfect. Said, you know and she totally, she was totally okay with it. Now she's eight. She's like saying, can I watch it now? Yeah, she's now not she sure. A lot's watch, changed. Yeah. yeah. She wants to watch that Stanley Kubrick film that's that's... Heavily referenced in Ready Player One, and we're not going to ruin it. No. That, that's probably the most enjoyable. I know, and I'm like, I'm, I'm like, definitely. No, 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 don't do that. Don't yeah. do that. <laughs> She's that. a bit of a horror buff, though. She likes, 
you know, she's a big Tim Burton fan and she, oh, nice. she likes the sort of dark, weird stuff. Is there anything that you've returned to in your elderly years now that hasn't held up? That's a good question. No, I, I, you know, because generally stuff I pick... It's not it, like there's it, been a 20-year gap. You return no, to no. it. And it's you... stuff like stuff that y y you get a kick out of when they enjoy it. Like we watched Bill and Ted 1 and 2, and she liked... She's a big fan of, uh, of Bogus Journey. I'm like all about, you know, I love Bogus, Bogus Journey. I think I'm with her. I the think. Excellent Adventure is very good. <laughs> so it's really fun to, t to watch stuff like that and see, be validated by, yeah. you know, by her enjoyment, which is nice. We watched Avatar the other day, which yeah. is an interesting one. Yeah, and she was pretty. Although, you know, you know what her favorite film is? Is Titanic. That's amazing. Yeah. Well, I saw Titanic five times in the theaters, and I was <laughs> an, a, a, pretty much an adult male, so, you know, it works Titanic, for everybody. Watching it Titanic, works. I realized that it is this incredible combination of the best and the worst film. I mean, you watch it, and you can see how it's so sort of cheesy and terrible. It's but teetering on the God, edge it's of... Enjoyable. Uh, <laughs> it's very satisfying. It's so satisfying. And all the Avatar hate out there, and I get it. It's like... He's a very earnest filmmaker. Yeah, well, Avatar was Avatar had a story that was was very very basic right. and a little bit patronizing when you start to realize the proxies that are involved. But I think with a visual sort of palette that extraordinary, yeah. the story has to be a little bit yes. easy to swallow, you know. And if it you, is very kind of binary. But are you ready for four more? I don't know. I Zoe Saldana is at it at the moment, oh, sure. and uh, you know, every time I speak to her, she's like got dots all over her face. <laughs> Like it seemed like a good idea at the time ten years ago, but oh but my she God. loves it. You know, she she could be near the kids in LA. She's just you right. know wearing a onesie and enjoying herself. <laughs> Sounds like the dream, basically. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, um, can we talk a little Star Trek? Just to talk. Yeah, I think yeah. Probably the last time, one of the last times I, I sat down with you, I think probably was for Star Trek Beyond, which um, and you talked about this a little bit, but. I remember going into it, and you've been kind of critical and honest about the marketing and whatever. And I would agree. I, I would agree with you though, because like going into it, I was worried. I didn't know if I was going to like your movie. Yeah, I, well, I felt I know, and I've kind of got into not hot water at all, but it's been picked up on a lot recently because um, I mentioned that I, I wasn't happy with the way that the film was marketed. But um, it was a big year for Star Trek, it, it, and and it felt like that wasn't ever embraced. You know, I think sometimes people get scared of the Star Trek fan base as being, you know, a kind of closed shop. And right. if, the, if we were to mention Star Trek in some way, then it would turn all the other people who haven't seen Star Trek off. I don't know. It just felt an odd thing to do. It is. It seems like Paramount's always had that. There's a push and the pull yeah. of, like, how much to embrace the the hardcore fans and the fan base and how much to, like... Because, yeah, it was marketed, and part of it was because of the director, like, as a Fast and Furious movie in space, basically. Yeah, and I think that can't... The people, I think the person responsible for that... Uh, yeah, that's not there anymore anyway. Got and it. I, you know, I, I enjoy working with Paramount enormously. There are people there that I really sure. love and respect, and I'd hate for them to think that was being ungrateful. But I think in, in that moment, um, it could have been done better. Was that a stressful time to be promoting that? I mean, there was a lot going on. Anton had obviously passed very recently. Yeah, that, that, that obviously th threw an incredibly dark shadow over everything. And we'd sat and discussed whether or not we were going to actually go ahead and, you know, promote the film at all at, right. at one point but then we realized that well if we didn't we would be neglecting something you know that Anton did and yeah um but making it was more stressful than uh you know it was a tight timeline on that yeah, one yeah 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 making it was the thing because we we had a you know there was there was a script that we were all we were all waiting to read and then suddenly they went we're not going with that script was did you that? ever read that one yeah eventually i had to because of arbitration with the wga yeah. but they they never gave it to me and doug before we wrote oh, wow. beyond um so because they wanted us to start from absolute scratch you know got it and so eventually when i read it i could see why it didn't work you know i could see what what the issues were with it um but we had six months to write Star Trek Beyond. And there were people knocking on the door saying, what are we designing? What are we building? We're three months out from shooting. Right. Whatever. Um, it's interesting. In a way, somehow uh, Macquarie on mission seems to have cracked that code because that's, that's another franchise that demands you to almost like start on set pieces simultaneously to yeah. creating the story. Like they're kind of like, and it sounds, usually this is a negative, like building a story around set pieces, but by God, this guy knows how to do it. He does, and he thrives in that situation. You know, they they come up with ideas for, you know, big moments and aren't entirely sure how they link. But McHugh, if anyone's going to get that, it's him, and he yeah. and he does it, and he scratches his head, and he, you know, you ask him, is it is it ready yet? And it, no, 
and and then eventually he cracks it and 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 it all makes brilliant sense you know he's yeah. a really really gifted writer and i think he he prefers fixing to starting from the blank page you know i think he really thrives in in the melee of trying to make sense of a, of something that already exists you know I, I trust him after seeing i mean arguably i think the the last mission was probably maybe my favorite even since i, I have a soft spot for the de palma one just because i love what he yeah did with it's that great. One. and i think so does McHugh. you know yeah. i think McHugh loves that that kind of old world spy mm. feel that the statecraft kind of yes. intrigue but he also appreciates the the big moments of which there are multiple in the new one in, yeah. in, in fallout it's just kind of bananas what we did and um it makes me always makes me fearful for what's going to happen if we do another one, you know. Oh yeah, the, yeah. The, I mean, uh, does Tom know that you've stopped filming because he just jumped out of an airplane apparently last week? Yeah, they were doing. Does it. he knows that that, that that it's time to stop? They went to Abu Dhabi after we wrapped the film, kind of officially, to pick up this splinter. Um, just a little pickup shot of him yeah, jumping out of a plane, doing like a twenty-five thousand foot <laughs> skydive or something. Meter, no, whatever. Anyway. Um, and it was supposed to be like a week of shooting and it turned into three just because the who knew the practicalities of shooting <laughs> at 25,000 feet without an aeroplane? Huh. Yeah. Um, well, we'll come back to that in a sec, but uh, more on, on the Trek point, because there's a bunch, obviously there's been a lot of talk about sort of where this franchise goes. Mm. The, the box office wasn't probably what everybody was hoping for on Beyond, so there was kind of like a pause, it felt like, a, a moment to kind of digest. Yeah. And there was that intriguing concept of like Hemsworth coming back in yeah. Which I don't know, like if there was ever a script or how involved you were on that side of it. No, Doug and I were never uh, going to write the fourth one. You know, okay. that was never the the deal. Doug and I are do, are doing something together at Bad Robot, which I probably can't talk about just yet. But um, familiar but, property or something? Yeah. something? Oh, okay, I'll tell you when to turn, you okay. turn the mic off. Fair enough. Um, it's uh, yeah, and, and so Payne and McKay, who who had written the um, abortive third script with. Um, the previous director, they are writing a fourth one. And um, that, as far as I knew, was was the kind of Hemsworth thing. Um, that's as much as I know. And then, of course, the news came in. JJ, we, got, we all got an email the other uh, couple of months ago from JJ saying, oh, Quentin Tarantino came into the office uh, with an idea, so we're putting it into a writer's room. I don't think Quentin's going to direct it because right. he's got his... California movie to do, right. and I think he's only going to do one more movie yep. after that. According to him, yeah. Yeah, and, and I doubt, you know, he wouldn't be able to get around to directing a Star Trek film for another two or three years. Right. You know? So are you, is that in intriguing, uh, as intriguing to you as to some fans about the prospect? Of, I know a lot of people have joked, like, this is going to be, you know, a Trek film loaded with, you know, motherfuckers and Sam Jackson yeah, and stuff like I that. which I think is an incredibly reductive way of approaching Tarantino's work. You know, I think... Uh, um, He's a big fan and uh, and is a very smart filmmaker and writer. And I think you know he would approach it with the uh, with the respect it deserves. I don't think it would all just be kind of right. you know when you've absolutely got to stun every motherfucker in the room. <laughs> right. Um, <laughs> the jokes write themselves. But <laughs> yeah. No, he's he's legit. I think like his favorite is I think he references like City on the Edge of Forever. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, and it, it doesn't kill Bill. Starts with the Klingon proverb. Yes. You know? Exactly. Exactly. So. Um, so I, I, I you don't obviously are not going to tell me anything, but do you know what the basic gist of no. the idea is? I have a feeling. I have a vague memory of him talking about it years and years ago because he sort of adopted me, Edgar and Nick, back in the day. Uh, he was so lovely to us, and, and we spent we hung out at his place and watched loads of films. And I'm sure he mentioned that. Uh, I'm sure it's an idea he's hung on to for quite some time. But I don't know. I really don't know. And JJ hasn't told us, and yeah. I think probably so that we don't tell anybody else we get put in this situation. Um, would, would you want to uh, eventually, the beyond experience, for good or for bad, would you want to dip your toe back into that universe as a writer? Yeah, absolutely, 100%. Gotcha. Um, so oh, let's go back a little bit. So, so, and we've talked about this in the past, but like, you know, we're talking about mission yeah. and mission, your first mission came after Sean, right? Sean of the dead, yes, but before did. hot fuzz. Mission three, yeah. So in some ways, obviously Sean is the, is the film that changes everything for you three guys, it did, yeah. but, but in almost a, as important way, in some ways, mission probably did for you too. In terms of my sort of career here in the U S yeah, absolutely. That kind of, that was the film that, even though it was a very sh small cameo, I think what that film did was introduce me to JJ and JJ then when he was casting Star Trek. Right. I get, I still get the feeling he was like, I can't be bothered to look for an actor to do it. Let's 
<laughs> That's the closest Simon. one I know. <laughs> yeah, I could pull it off. It was because he literally sent me an email that said, "Do you do you want to play Scotty?" Question mark. And it was one of the most. It was like being asked to have sex on before the first date. Do you know what I mean? It was like, at least take me out for some food and we'll watch a movie. <laughs> Let me, me enjoy this. Let yeah. me just like shrink this not, out It's not that bit. I don't want to have sex with you. I just don't know if I should right now, you know. It was kind of, uh, I felt angry at him for sort of putting me on the spot. And it took me like three days because I didn't feel like I could say yes, like, right. yeah. You know, I didn't feel like I'd email back, sure. <laughs> you know, that felt like, it's too big. Smiley face back. Do it again, Just do like it again. Look. Yeah, go out of the room and come back in and ask me again, <clears throat> and I'll get all ready, and then I'll come give you my answer. <laughs> did, did being on the set of Mission feel like, I mean, because, you know, doing Sean and doing Spaced, you were in a world that you were very much a, a creative collaborator in that, that you had helped uh, foster. Yeah. Did it feel like um, intimidating? Oh, my at the God, time? yes. I mean, even though I didn't, even though I was made to feel very, very welcome, I got there. I wasn't in a great place anyway. Personally, I was sort of a bit kind of doughy and and drunk. <laughs> and I, I, you know, Tom and Ving came on the set, and I and I was like, that was my first meeting with them. And I and JJ had sent me this massive long speech about the rabbit's foot like the day before we shot it. And I, I've been in a hotel just going mental for like eight days, waiting to shoot, not knowing how this all worked, and got to set. And, you know, I don't think I barely did a full take of the rabbit's foot speech without getting something wrong. And it was just terrifying. And then Tom went off and I did all the stuff kind of talking to him when he's in Shanghai and he's running through Shanghai. Right. That was a bit more, I was a bit more relaxed because he wasn't there. Even though he was so lovely, of very, course. very generous, as he always is. Uh, and then further down the line, I, I started to get, you know, more comfortable. When we did Star Trek, it was more comfortable. And Got it. Now it's kind of, you know. Now you're just totally jaded. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you mentioned giving up drinking, which uh, was what, like seven or eight years ago? Do I have eight, nearly eight, yeah. Did that? Did that partially spawn World's End? Is that do, oh do yeah? I think? The World's End is kind of a biographical movie, you know, for me and Edgar. Yeah. Combined, it's it's about uh, you know the the partly about nostalgia, which is the same thing Ready Player One is about mm -hmm. in a way, and also much more of a a sort of cautionary tale both of those films are than people think. You know, right. Ready Player One, everyone's saying, oh, it's just a kind of, you know, uh, a pointless look back at, at, at ephemeral cultural nonsense. But in actual fact, it's about the dangers of living in a fake nostalgic world, you know. Right. The World's End was, was as much about how addiction can govern your decisions to the point of risking, you know, d endangering your life, you know. Right. And there's a thread in The World's End which is purely about alcoholism, you know. Yeah. And uh, and so that was that for me. That's why The World's End is my favorite film of the three. It just feels like a uh, it you, was you like therapy. Yeah, no, you definitely <laughs> yeah. did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, what, what what have you replaced uh, uh, alcohol with in your in your, your self destructive life? Are you uh, self <laughs> <laughs> do you have any vice to that, that compares to that, or are you uh, crack? No, <laughs> wow, uh, you really made a leap. <laughs> Not even no, coke. Went right to crack. I went straight there. No, we, I mean, boringly, with keeping fit, with being alive, you know. I, <laughs> I, started, I started Mission Ghost Protocol about two or three months after I, I got sober and, um, and, and I had to get sh in shape for that. And I suddenly started thinking, hey, this feels good to be thin and happy. And, um, and then since then, you know, I, I've, I've made that part of my life and I really, really enjoy it. So I, I know it's boring, but now I just... I train dangerously. <laughs> Miss Doey Simon. You were so relatable now. Now I can't, I can't, don't get it, man. Um, the, so are you and Edgar, I feel like a year ago there was, that you, you guys were starting to talk about maybe we're doing something? We're always talking about okay. it. I mean, the fact is, you know, Edgar's like my, part of my family, you know, so it's not like we don't, we only come together when we're right. working. We talk all the time, and same as Nick, you know, we're, there's a there's a deeper relationship there that right. goes beyond just professional. And so I see Edgar whenever I'm in LA, or he comes to London. We always have dinner and we hang out when we can. We text most days, and generally speaking, every now and again we'll go, oh yeah, so what are we going to do? What are we going to do? And it's not about wanting to do it or not wanting to do it. It's about when and how. Right. You know, he's off doing something now. Nick and I have just started this production company. Right. And you've a film coming out. Yeah, right? yeah. Slaughterhouse Rules is coming out later in uh, September, I think. And, um, and and we've also got our slate to kind of... We're now like businessmen. It's so weird. We've got all these responsibilities that we nice. don't, don't take to too well. <laughs> uh, 
but when we can do it, it'll, we'll do it. You know, it, it feels like it's something that's gonna. It's the only certain thing in my life that we'll work together again. You know? Do you feel like you guys ha have zeroed in on the idea of the thing that you want to explore? We're not zeroed in. We're definitely sort of skirting themes, you know, and uh, and possible kind of scenarios. <laughs> wow. <laughs> How vague can I be? <laughs> it will be shot on. I can't even say that. No, you can't even say that. Film. Who knows? If it's Edgar, it probably will be. If he can, if he can right. sort of. Um, find any in a skip in uh, you know <laughs> was it fun to enjoy baby driver as a audience member yeah i know because i get very proud and kind of you know I, I root for him obviously and and i watch it as 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 a um a collaborator and a friend as as much as i do as a creative you know so i'll sit and enjoy it and i'll also say hey well you should have done that maybe you should have done that but um but it was so great and i, I it was such a virtuoso piece of directing you know yeah. and I, it just makes me feel really just really good and happy, and, yeah. and I was I was so happy to see him take win some Baftas and be Academy Oscar nominated. nominated. You know Absolutely. that was just great. Were you uh, jumping around topics? Surprised that JJ came back for episode nine? I imagine they probably made it so that he couldn't say no. And I and I know JJ cares deeply about the characters and everything. And um, you know, as he said, you know he's closing out. Uh, nine films you know he's not just making a sequel to the last jedi he's he's making the the the, the closing the film Skywalker and he has saga. to yeah and he and, and and has to embrace all nine of them all eight of them rather yeah um so I, I, w I was a little surprised because after 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 force awakens you know he's sort of he, he sort of I'd go to Bad Robot to work and he'd just be hanging around, you know, with a bit of a beard. <laughs> I was like, what are you doing? <laughs> I don't know. You know, he'd just be sort of, I don't know. I felt, I felt like, I felt the same way after Star Trek Beyond. I felt like, I don't know what I want to do now. Mm. And I literally said to my agent, don't call me unless, for six months unless Steven Spielberg rings. And then like, who knew? <laughs> the hotline rang. And then it rang. The bat phone went off, and, um, which was hilarious. And I, and I didn't, you know, for a second consider not doing Ready Player One. But I think JJ was just like scratching his chin about what am I going to do now, you know? And yeah. um, and I think when this came about, the, the obviously the idea of managing to, to 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 close out the the stories that he began with the Force Awakens m must have felt like you know eventually too too much to resist. What's uh, what's you, what, don't we won't talk about Jar Jar as hot button Star Wars topics. We'll see that we've covered <laughs> that to death. But we can talk about Ray's parentage. What do you think about? That decision. That, well, uh, I know, I know what JJ kind of intended, or at least what was sort of um, being chucked around. I think that's kind of been undone slightly by the last one. Mm. Um, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> you need time to digest. I think Unkar Plutt is Ray's real father. <laughs> wow, scandalous! <laughs> Seems like a good dad. Yeah. Seems like a good father. He was just trying to keep. The, you know, it's difficult. Obesity is a big problem on Jakku. <laughs> we don't know his race. He could be thin. I know. No, he is something. I, I I can't remember what he is. He's a Balupian Galupa box. <laughs> you just made that up. Yeah. But he was worried about Ray gaining weight, so he didn't want to give her too many portions. <laughs> you know. Just limit that. <laughs> so wait, it wasn't going to be the, the it was a different parents that, that that was bandied about on set when you guys were chit chatting. Well, there was some talk about you know uh, a, a kind of relevant uh, lineage for her. Got it. But I honestly don't know, and I don't know if anybody knows. You know, right. we shall see. I would like to still, like many fans, I have just undying curiosity on what George Lucas's treatment was on the trilogy that we'll never see. Yeah, I. Yeah, maybe it would have been horrible or not. No, no, but I, see, I don't I, know. I, I, everybody got, including myself, we all got very sort of down on George because of the prequels. But I feel like not me. No, not you. <laughs> we know and, where and, I stand. And who's laughing now? I think it's like you, you look at Star Wars. You look at the first three, and you have George Lucas working with a Gary Kurtz or whoever. It's people that are kind of there to 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 manage his his incredible imagination and his ideas and sort of practicalize everything, you right. know. And I think the com th that combination was what made it all so special and so great. Then you had the prequels, which, for, in my opinion, you know, maybe George's George's untethered, sort of wild, a bit. untethered yes, exactly. brilliance yeah. wasn't sort of reined in enough, and his his thirst for new technology, and you know, maybe it didn't work as well for me. It didn't work as well, and um, I feel like I, I miss George a little bit. You know, I know. I hope he's making those secret pri like. Uh, 
personal films he's been talking about yeah, for years. Yeah, yeah. Want, like, if he dies in 20 years, I want to find, like, a just a box of, like, yeah. bizarre, weird shit he's been making. Well, I think he's a visionary. And I think, you know, when you, you realize that it wasn't just TIE Fighters and oh, at yeah. and seeing things like that again, do not a Star Wars film make, you right. know? It's kind of... There's a there's an, a spirit there, and I hope the guys um, that now are now in charge. You know, I know JJ obviously does uh, uh, keeps that alive. The, the, they're handing out Star Wars films and TV <laughs> series left and right now. Yeah. Have you had a meeting with Kathy Kennedy? Have you thrown your hat in the ring of a creative I type? I don't know if I care enough anymore, and I think that's down to the to the to the Force Awakens kind the, of what you were saying about the, the, the coming together of my childhood dreams right i felt like it was like a sort of post-orgasmic malaise you know <laughs> and now I like... sexual analogies <laughs> I you okay now i'm just like hey there's a han solo movie is there i'm not kind of i don't feel like it's for me anymore you know i'm i'm and i'm not saying that's not and i'm beyond it in some way i just mean that there are it, it's for other people now yeah and God bless them. Do you find... May the force be with them. <laughs> oh, that has a ring to it. When you're walking around in your day-to-day -day life, you know, we, we were going to do like a silly sketch at, at one point that yeah. was kind of talking about kind of like your place in fandom yeah. as like a nerd icon. Like, are you just like... At Starbucks, are these co the conversations that people want to have with you? And does it get to be a little like... I like to talk about this stuff, but at some point... Yeah, I like not to talk about this stuff too. Oh yeah, I, I have a whole kind of life which has nothing to do with any of that stuff. Do you know what I mean? And I, I feel sometimes I feel like a bit of a fraud. I do. Uh, you know, I've managed to be in the, the, these films and 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 I'll also feel qualified to talk about them. I grew up loving them. Right. But also, there's there's more to my life than that, and I do feel a little bit sometimes like these things are you know the preserve of younger right. people and. Um, and I have things that I like, which are, are, are for grown-ups. I don't know. So is that part of the, the production company you and Nick have started? Possibly, yeah. Um, and Slaughterhouse Rules is the first production? Yeah, which is a kind of a comedy horror film. And okay. uh, um, uh, it, it, Nick and I are, are in it in sort of cameo, a cameo, as is Michael Sheen and some other surprise people as well. But it's about these kids. It's a bit like Ready Player One, you know, the, mm -hmm. the core group in the film are, are a group of up-and-comers, including Asa Butterfield oh, in nice. it and uh, a whole bunch of other great kids. And um, so that's our first sort of co-production we've done yeah. with Catalyst and Sony. So what's the, what's the slate that you're hoping to kind of put together? What kind of, is there, is there a mandate that you and Nick have kind of like yeah. made for yourselves? Well, we kind of want to make things in line with our own particular sensibility. And that probably will be mainly television, really. Films now and again for the love of it but tv now is such an incredibly exciting kind of broad prospect you know in terms of how cinematic television can be how you can tell stories yeah. along uh, across greater periods of time you know in the same kind of visual terms that you can with cinema it's 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 kind of exciting you know i was kind of su surprised when i was thinking about chatting with you that you haven't gotten your 10 episode kind of creative oh it's like, all to come yeah yeah we've got but we've got a we've got a sort of sitcom we're writing called truth seekers which nick's going to be in i don't think i'm going to be in it but mm. um we're writing it together and um it's a sort of paranormal investigation sitcom it's really funny we wrote the pilot episode if i do say so myself <laughs> i laughed a lot um but mainly that's because I find myself hilarious. Right. Uh, but also, no, I find Nick hilarious. Nick makes me laugh more than anyone in the world, and mm. I cry with laughter whenever I'm around him. Uh, but there's other stuff. We're adapting third-party IP as well. You know, we have some books we're going to adapt, and uh, it feels like the beginning of a new era of, of sort of creativity for us. Nice. So, and uh, I think last time you were on the podcast a few years back, we, we were talking about directing, potentially. Mm. Is that that's something? happening at the end of this year, yeah. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Uh, hopefully... I'll start prep for that in after I finish pre, uh, um, press for mission. Got it. Uh, where uh, around the world are you going for mission? Where, where am I tagging along, hopefully? Anywhere, oh, for anywhere? press? Yeah. I don't know. I think we'll definitely start in Paris because we shot a lot of it there. I can do that. That's fine. Yeah. And then we usually go to uh, all around. Right. Yeah. Yeah, thanks to between the, the Mission franchise and Transformers, Paramount has let me see Dubai, <laughs> Hong Kong, yeah. Austria. I mean, it's great. They're great like that. I know. It's brilliant. <laughs> it's like the last like boondoggle of a junket <laughs> left in the world is I Paramount's know, right? giant spectacle film, so I will always support. Yeah. Not to mention I love the Mission films. Of course. Um, 
So we alluded to this before. Uh, this is the first time that a director has returned for Mission Impossible. Yeah. Uh, and I feel we're in safe hands with McHugh, as you call him, uh, yeah. Chris McQuarrie. Um, and I'm, I'm excited also in that like there's some linkage to the last film. It's, it would seem. Yeah, and I think he sort of was at pains to continue that the sort of diversity of look that has happened across the series by hiring an entirely new sort of... Um, team in terms of the DP, mm. the costume designer. So so the film feels different. So he recognizes part of the beauty of the franchise yeah. has been. So it's not just it up, like yeah. Rogue Nation part two, even though to some degree it is a continuation of that story because it's still, you know, Sean Harris is back, Rebecca Ferguson's right. back. Um, but we also have Henry Cavill as well and his wonderful mustache. Haven't heard about that. Really. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that was so funny. I, you know, what? I really love Henry. He's great fun. And uh, I remember asking him, I won't put him on the spot, but after he got back for, from his Justice League press, we were in makeup and I said, who's to blame? Who's to blame, Henry? Is it us for making you keep it or them for not, you know, for having to do reshoots so right. late in the day? I won't tell you what he said. <laughs> okay, I'll follow up with that when I see him. <laughs> not since, yeah, Kerry Russell cut off her hair for Felicity has there been such a controversial... Uh... Yeah, but it's like, you know, the truth is, is that we were you know, deep into our shoot and Henry had some, some, some difficult stunt work to do. He didn't really have a full beard. So like, it's difficult to mimic stubble, right? you know, and, um, it just, it just, by that time he was ours. He belonged to us then. I'm <laughs> we sorry. We own you, Henry Cavill. <laughs> I'm sorry. At Warners. least they got an amazing movie out of it in Justice League. I haven't seen it. I haven't seen it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that is kind of surprising. You have not done a Marvel or DC film? I think it's a funny thing with, with, with Marvel. I feel a sort of odd kind of allegiance to Edgar. Not that there's any love lost right. between Edgar and Marvel. I mean, they, they, you know, it was a very amicable or at least a, a, a mutual uh, agreement when he walked away from Ant-Man. But I'm, I'm sort of like, as his sort of dad on the side, like, well, you, <laughs> I'm not going to watch any of your films. Right. Having said that, I, Thor Ragnarok was such a hoot. Okay. I, I, I've seen that like three times. I love it. I've got, I, you know, that's me being daft. Um, yeah, it hasn't come up. And I, but I also want to keep doing small stuff. I'm going to do a, a tiny film in L.A. soon called Lost Transmissions. Mm -hmm. Um, I have this film coming out that I did with Margot Robbie called Terminal, which I want is. I to ask you. I just watched a teaser for that. That looks yeah. There's a big teaser coming out later today. It'll oh, cool. be online when we when this is heard. Um, yeah, that's like a noir thriller. We shot it in Budapest just before Blade Runner went in there. I watched that again on the airplane coming over. Blade Runner original or 2049. I liked. That. It's <laughs> so good. I mean, it's brilliant. And I, I would I would say the, the 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 worst thing I could sling at it was that. Danny Villeneuve found it hard to kill his babies in terms of just just sure. it's a little making it a little shorter, you yeah, know. Yeah. And it, but my God, being on the plane and having the time and the inclination to to I I watched it again having seen it before, and I really love it as a sequel. I just think it's such a brilliant evolution of the first story. Very satisfying. It's not a retread, and yet it has the right level of familiarity without leaning on that too much yep. to be relevant. You know, yep. like some things these days. Will just it'll just be about spotting what you've seen before. Right. It's like, oh yeah, there's that. That's why I like this, you know. Whereas this is, and Ryan Gosling is great in it. Prospect of him doing Dune is intriguing to yeah, me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What did you think of the David Lynch Dune? I love it. I, I mean, have a soft spot for that too. <laughs> David Lynch, for me. Did you watch the new Twin yes, Peaks? Yes, of course. Yeah. I felt like that made everything that's been on television ever before seem trite. <laughs> I, I used to sit down and watch it, and there was that little fizzy uh, logo at the beginning for the, you know... His production company yeah, logo, yeah. Yeah, and I'd get, like, oh, yeah. excited when I heard it. I'd get, like, a Pavlovian, Pavlovian sort of anything tingle. anything was possible the next hour. Oh, my God. Episode 8 was, like, the greatest piece of television I've ever <laughs> seen in my life. I agree. I was screaming at the television, like... How can this be? This my my so mantra, good. the like the six months before that show was coming out, was like, guys, it's all going to be okay. The world might be going to shit. We have 15 hours of David Lynch content coming out. I know. <laughs> but it wasn't just like, what was amazing about it was that it wasn't just like Twin Peaks 2. And there were lots of lovely moments of like, of, of, of familiarity sure. and returning to... Anytime the familiar theme kicked yeah. in. Well, yeah. But this was a victory lap for everything he's ever done. I mean, there was like, yeah. everything was in there. Mulholland Drive yeah. and Lost Highways and Wild at Heart. Mm -hmm. And there was stuff in there that 
Oh my god, it was just a, an absolute delight. Yeah, I, I had I had Kyle McLaughlin in here as the finale was going up. Did I you? Just, it was just a blast. I saw I saw uh, Naomi Watts at something. It was a pre-BAFTA thing. Yeah. And I totally and I couldn't get to her, and I just wanted to go over <laughs> and fan out on her and just tell her how much she, how brilliant it was and what a what a privilege it must have been for those guys to be part of it. You know. Totally. Um, all right, so go check out uh, Twin Peaks, the new season, everybody, yes. and see Ready Player One three, uh, three times is the minimum? Try and see it three times this weekend. Can they <laughs> sneak in and just like wait in the theater? Like, yes. Are you making them spend 50 bucks? Absolutely, or? yes. No, do. Sneak in. Don't download it because that funds terrible things. Oh, no, no. But if you can get into the cinema twice without having to pay, do it. <laughs> Spent a lot of time sneaking into theaters as a kid. I don't know about Absolutely. you. Um, Yes. No. Congratulations, as always. It's always good to catch up with you. Thanks, uh, not that this film needs our help, but uh, yeah, it's Steven Spielberg doing what Steven Spielberg can do, like no one, no one else, Absolutely. and it's it's a spectacle in the best possible way. So see it on a big screen, loud, and uh, in the best possible projection, etc. And three D. I would never usually oh, recommend three D. Yeah. I'm ambivalent about three D. But because the world is so immersive, in the same way that Avatar was actually, when you're in a world that you will never see in three dimensions anywhere else, right? See it in three D because it's extraordinary. It nice. really is. Yeah. Um, there you go, uh, Simon. Always welcome here. Good to see you. Thank you. And so ends another edition of Happy, Sad, Confused. Remember to review, rate, and subscribe to this show on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm a big podcast person. I'm Daisy Ridley, and I definitely wasn't pressured to do this by Josh. <laughs> 